not enough. Like that's not enough. However, that is compared to, you know, an honest comparison to the 4250 that we spend on Father's Day. <laughs> so, okay. Um, we have come to uh, the conclusion of a series that is, has, <laughs> whether it's meant a lot to you or not, I, I have learned a lot from the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's whole approach to telling the story of Jesus and the Gospel, he goes really fast. Uh, he puts information out there in kind of a rapid-fire uh, fashion. And, and I've learned a lot uh, f- from that and about that. And the way we designed this series is we kind of, it went longer than, you know, we originally planned and then kept going. And then Easter was right there. So it was this beautiful way and this time to kind of make sure that that fit um, in. And then we're kind of doing retro. I said it was kind of like Star Wars series or something. We're going to go back and touch a couple of things. And today we're going to end and really prayed about, Lord, where would be a good landing place? Where would be a good place um, to see this series, you know, Kind of, kind of come to to this moment, and chapter nine of Mark is really where I felt like the Spirit leading me. It's all about the transfiguration. And what's happened is that Jesus has predicted his own death to the disciples, and they don't get that. They never would get that and understand that. Did not fit at all with their. Uh, preconceived ideas of what Messiah would look like, and you know how we do that, whether, you know, it's about a lot of different kind of subjects, you know, we, um, we kind of figure out how we think this is going to go, and, you know, what's going to unfold, I think we do that about the second coming, you know, I'm part of that generation, that that was like a really big, big topic um, when I came into the body of Christ, when I was, you know, a little younger, um, like during my college season of life, that was that was huge, and there were charts and diagrams up in every church, and we had it figured out. And some people would go so far as to predict, predict, you know, like it's going to be 1985. Oh, we missed that. So they would tinker with it and go, oh, okay, here we found our mistake, and it's actually going to be 1998. And then that came and went, you know, and it just kept kept working like that. That's sort of the atmosphere in the first century. Uh, so Jesus was just he was just tearing down everything. I mean, he was just blowing up uh, their whole way of looking at Messiah. So he predicts his death, and then right after that, he says this uh, to the disciples. It's almost like this, this comment, you know, like, oh, by the way, I assure you that some of you who are standing here right now, you're not even going to die until you see the kingdom of God arrive in power. There's a lot of different ideas about what he was talking about, but what I think maybe he could have been talking about is this next event. So I want you to look um, at chapter 9 with me for just a moment uh, because this event that happens, which was absolutely just you know, amazing, this, this, this astounding, this, this thing that is about to happen uh, that we call uh, the transfiguration. And most of you probably are familiar with that. What it was is it was this moment in the disciples' life where they got to see Jesus as he really was. Like they, they saw for certain that he is way more than just a man just who they thought he was, uh, it's kind of like 
uh, the previews, you know, to a coming attraction. You know, when you go to see a movie, whether it's the Avengers or Token or whatever it is, you know, that's out, you kind of add on 20 minutes or so ahead of that, and they show these, these you know, trailers for, for films coming up. This event is kind of like a trailer. This is a coming attraction for what is going to happen, you know, and who Jesus will be in his glorified uh, state. So here's the big idea about the message today. The transfiguration reveals the glorious, true identity of Christ. This is what they're going to see. So what do we do with that? What's that going to mean to my life this week when I get up in the morning and I start going forward? Well, I, I want to kind of frame that or wrap that around um, instead of making a statement uh, today because there's a statement. This is the big truth, the big idea that Jesus was more than everybody thought he was and maybe he's more than who you think he is. So here's a couple of questions in response to that. And as you answer these questions, uh, you're going to figure out what to do next because I don't think it's going to be just like one big thing it's going to be maybe several things that begin to be folded into and and then come out of your life so here's a couple of questions and I'll ask you these again at the very end was there a moment in your life when Jesus was suddenly revealed to you as glorious and holy God do you remember that? Maybe you were 7, 8, 10 years old. Maybe you were 19. Maybe you were 30, 50 years old. I have a friend, he's 65 years old, and he said, I realize Jesus is who he said he was. He's really who he said he was. He surrendered his life to him. And if you've taken that step, and you're aware of that, so where did that lead you? Are you being transformed into the image of Jesus? Is that happening in your life? You see, that's a better litmus test uh, if you've answered the first question, you know, and if you've kind of gotten that right and understood that, I guess, correctly or accurately, if you've gotten that part, um, then that transformation, that transfiguration is going to already have been set into motion in your life. And I know there's ups and downs, I know there's backs and forths, and there's, there's all of these issues that we have, and habits you've got to break, and, you know, all these things that you've got. But generally, is the direction, the momentum of your life, are you being transformed? Do you look more like Jesus this year than you did last year, or the year before, or 10 years ago? Well, let's read a uh, first-hand account and see exactly what it was that happened. In chapter 9, let's start at verse 2. Six days later, and that was six days after Jesus had told them, some of you are about to see something. You're not, you're not going to leave here without seeing something extraordinary. Six days after that, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain. No one else was there. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance changed, and his clothing became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly process could ever make it. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Teacher, this is wonderful, Peter exclaimed. We'll make three shrines, one for you, 
one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't really know what to say, for they were all terribly afraid. You know when you don't know what to say and you're really scared and you're getting, you either giggle or you just say ridiculous things? This is Peter's in that moment. Then a cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, they looked around, and Moses and Elijah were gone. Only Jesus was with them. As they descended the mountainside, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until he, the Son of Man, had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. The world suddenly had this new and exciting potential for these disciples. Can you imagine that? Have you ever tried to picture that in, in, in your mind and to think, wow, what that must have been like? And the thoughts that must have, you know, tumbled through their minds, you know, wow, what, what if my rabbi is, isn't just a rabbi? You know, it's kind of like, remember those Transformer movies? There's been, I don't know how many of those, 10 of those, not as many as Batman or as, you know, all the other, um, the Avenger movies, I think uh, there's more than any of those, but in the Transformer ones, you know, there, there's just like a Camaro or there's a truck and all of a sudden it's not a car, it's not, you know, and it un un undoes itself, transforms, you know, and it stands up and it's this huge robot kind of thing. And uh, how many toys were sold with that? You know, and it was just, it was like, whoa, we thought it was this, but it was that, it was not. Okay, this is really a lame illustration, but okay, Jesus was not who they thought he was. He transformed into his true identity right in front of them. He's not just my rabbi. He's, he's something else. The thing is, we spend great deal of our energy as people trying to transform Jesus into what we kind of think he is or should be. We try to morph and manipulate him into something that he's not because we need him to kind of fit our agenda and what I need him to be. It's good for us, I think, today to land here at this place, to be challenged with the truth that Jesus is not whom we've made him out to be. Not even close. He's greater than we assume. He's holier than we give him credit for. He's better than we have ever imagined him to be. We need transfiguration. Because it breaks down all those idols and those self-absorbed kind of ideas of Jesus. And it brings us back to this breathtaking truth of, oh, Jesus, who he is. Some people have reduced Jesus into just a political entity, just a political personality 
to be conveniently thrown out there, you know, to, that, that's kind of your ace that you throw down to win arguments, maybe with your, somebody in your family or a friend or at work or on social media, which has become, it seems, just from my perspective, one continual long argument. I mean, have you ever felt more judgment and more, I mean, people talk about Christians being judgmental. I think, have you looked at your Facebook? Have you been on Twitter or Instagram? I mean, it's just a lot of that going on just makes you kind of tired. And I think Jesus is sort of where we are go-to. I mean, you know, what, what do you say after that? Or perhaps you've seen him portrayed or even lived out in your own life as kind of like a magic genie. Uh, sometimes we think that's what he is, and you know how that works. Um, you know, you pray enough, you believe enough, you just plain old try hard enough. You know, God helps those who help themselves. And if you do that, then Jesus will grant you your wish. And so we take that approach sometimes. Or, or maybe, you know, school's just kind of coming to a close and your student's going to come home and she's had her first year in college and maybe she took an introductory uh, to philosophy class and that's turned her into this enlightened progressive person and the professor really has helped her to transform Jesus from whatever she thought he was growing up and from Sunday school and vacation Bible school and oh no well now she she gets that he's just a simple first century guru you know teacher of some sort and nothing more and I, I remember my first classes you know like that in college where I was taught these things and I sat there thinking what is nothing I've assumed or believed or read about Jesus none of it's even true or you know and being confused and being challenged by that and then coming back full circle uh, that's why things like that reasons like that are why we we need the transfiguration it's just like this you know this this big wake-up call so that's why today you know I feel like this would be a good place for us, a good time to come back to this particular storyline because we have this tendency, come on, we have this tendency to fabricate uh, a false picture of Jesus, a Jesus that sort of fits my personality or where I am or kind of what I'm needing to be. He is who he is outside of your experience, your information, your knowledge. And because we see it that way, you know, uh, maybe you talk to somebody, you think, well, I don't see it that way. Well, here's what I think. Well, it really, I know it sounds rude to say it doesn't really matter what you think. It sounds kind of, you know, sassy or swaggy, but it, but it doesn't. It just really doesn't. He is who he is, separate from your identification of him, your interpretation of him. So in that, you know, in that place where we've laid our assumptions and our agendas and our designs, all of our preconceived mindsets, you know, on Jesus. And we've tried to turn him into something that just sort of suits my fancy. This passage, as well or better than, than any other, reminds us, oh, no, no, this is who Jesus really is. Jesus is not just a great teacher. He's greater than the greatest teacher, Moses, greater than the great prophet, Elijah. They bowed to him. None of that nonsense. He's not just a good teacher. 
Jesus is not just an enlightened man. He's not just a progressive. He's not any of that. He's God in the flesh, and his glory is radiant. It's, he's, he's not, like I said before, he, he's not the way you win an argument, you know, where you can just pull verses out and, and throw them down or quote Jesus, you know, and just this card to be played um, in arguments or a puppet to be you know, that, that's obligated to follow our directions and our requests and where you got to do it because of this, you know, that. No, he is the Father's beloved Son. He is Jesus. Every once in a while in my life, I need him just to bust out of whatever box I've put him in. Wherever I've locked him away and limited him, I need to see Jesus transformed into his glorious self and to remind me, oh no, I am the one true God. I'm the one true God. Jesus was and is the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. This is a defining moment in world history, in the disciples' lives, in the whole system of things, in the old religion, in the new religion, in all of that. Jesus fulfills everything, especially, and, and I think there's even a picture here that we're going to see in just a moment of how he, um, you know, checked off the law and the prophets. Mark 9, 4 says, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses. Uh, they had pictures. You know, they got their phones out. I'm not sure how they did this. Yeah, that matches his, that's Elijah. You know, that, but they knew who they were. Uh, and they're talking with Jesus. They're just having this conversation with Jesus. Now Luke, in Luke 9, 31, goes so far as to tell us what they were talking about. They were talking about Jesus' death. And the word for death in the Greek text is, and, and I, I try not to mention stuff like that because I think it just kind of shows off that you, you, know, you learned another language or something. But this one is significant enough. I thought I'd bring it out because in the Greek text, it's the word exodus. Isn't that so cool? Because Jesus would lead his people out of bondage of sin in a new exodus. And that's something he and Moses could say, yeah, well, listen to what I'm going to do, however. Uh, so Elijah and Moses represent uh, the law and the prophets. They're there, you know, as representatives of that. Now, th th this isn't how Peter's thinking this is working. You know, Peter's always, and he's so soaked in this, everybody was, because it was the tradition, it was the culture, it was the, the everything they knew. And so in his mind, it's like, oh, this is Mount Sinai all over again. I see what this is. It's a repeat. Uh, but it's not that. This is not Mount Sinai. This is, this is a gospel mountain. This is a grace mountain. It's not a law mountain. It, it, it's not about that anymore. This is so hard for us to wrap our minds around because this tendency, this pull, this, this desire we have, or obligation we feel to try to blend you know, to try to keep pulling that back into it. But that's not what this is about. 
Now, in this passage, um, I didn't notice this until I kind of started, kept looking at this. There's really only two people. You know, there's this narrative, there's this picture that unfolds, and you kind of watch it. But as far as what we hear, there's only two, two persons who speak. Uh, one is Peter, and the other is God the Father. Jesus never says a word. He doesn't have to. Peter places Jesus on at least equal standing with Elijah and Moses. So you got to give him that. He's come that far. And, and Peter is this work in progress. You know how he follows him and he makes these huge proclamations. And Jesus, you know, that time where Jesus said, uh, who's everybody talking about? You know, what do they say about me when they're talking about me? Don't you always wonder that? And you ask your friends, you know, well, what does she say about me? You know, um, and, and they say, well, some people think you're Elijah, actually. Some people think you're, you know, this or that. And, he said, and, and, and Jesus just said, oh, well, who do you guys think I am? And Peter, in this moment of brilliance, just pipes up. It's just almost like an impulse. And he says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he almost surprised himself. And you can feel all the disciples trying to look at him like, what did you just say? But Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because you didn't just think that up. The Holy Spirit showed you that. So he goes forward. You know, in that day, he's pretty, you know, he's thinking, yeah, I got the answer right. You know that feeling when you get it right and nobody else knew? Well, he knew. And so he spoke up and he's like, yeah. And I imagine he reminded his friends of that. You remember the other day when nobody knew who Jesus was except, oh, yeah, that's right. I knew who he was. I mean, he probably tweeted that out, you know, the hashtag Peter knows. And, you know, he was just so pleased. But then he goes forward and Right before Jesus' death, he does the unthinkable. He actually denies Jesus. And not just denies him, but he says, I don't even know him. I don't even know who he is. I don't even, what are you talking about? And just to give it a little authenticity, he throws in profanity. Scripture says that he curses. But what gives him away is his accent. You know, it's just like if I go anywhere in the world and people say, where are you from? You know, let's say I were to go to, to England, and they go, where are you from? That's my English accent, which is pretty good, actually. Uh, where, where are you from? I, and I, now I lost it, but, and I'd say, I'm from right here. I'm in England. I was born and raised right there in London. And they go, no, you weren't. Yeah, I was. Go balls. <laughs> you see, they would know, you're not from here. I am too. You know, they, they would know. You sound like you're from somewhere like, Tennessee. You see, this is what happens. So Peter gets busted through all this, and it just brings on this huge amount of shame and guilt all over his life, and he's just covered with it. And he moves forward, but it's so beautiful what happens after the resurrection. Jesus and Peter have breakfast together, and they have this conversation. And in that, Jesus not only assures Peter, hey, Peter, I forgive you for that. But he commissions him. He takes it the next step. And he says, and Peter, you, you remember back then I was counting on you. And I even went so far as to say, I'm going to build my church on you. It's guys like you I need on my team. And then we went through the whole denial thing. And now you think you're disqualified. And you think, well, I messed that up. So, And some of you feel that way. But then Jesus comes back to Peter and says, hey, I need you to feed my sheep. 
Peter, do you, do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. You're back in action. You're off the bench. There's no probation. So Peter moves forward, and it's kind of like his awareness of who Jesus is is growing, and it's becoming you know, clearer to him, but he doesn't quite get it. Not even in this moment. I mean, in this moment, Peter's like, hey, I've got an idea. You're as great as Elijah and Moses. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, let's build some tents. Let's, let's make some sheds and put you guys in them, and let's just stay up here. This is really nice. I like this. And he kind of becomes like a retreat center, you know. And, and Jesus is like, you totally don't get it. And he didn't get it yet. Then he goes forward and you, into the book of Acts, which we're going to be looking at this summer, by the way. We're going to talk about Holy Spirit power that was displayed in the people's lives after the resurrection of Jesus and how that happens in our lives. That's what we're going to look at this summer. So Peter begins to get it, but it really wouldn't be, you know, you see in Acts 3, you see this amazing thing that happens where uh, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And this, this guy's there begging. He's been there. He comes there every day. And he's just, just uh, you know, he's a little bit of an annoyance, you know, and a nuisance. But he's, he's begging. And, and, and Peter says, look, we're broke. We don't have anything. I don't have anything to give you. Look, I tell you what, what I do have, I will give you. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And he just is like, Peter, where did that, you know, and people look at me like, Peter, I didn't know you could do that. Where did you learn how to do that? I don't know. I just did that. But he raises the guy up, and he's dancing, and he's jumping, and he's just, so that happens, so there's a, a more of an awareness. By the time you get to chapter 9, Peter goes so far. We talked about this last Wednesday night in cafe. He raises this little girl. Her name's Tabitha, or her Greek name is Dorcas, okay? She's, she's died. She's, she's actually not a little girl. She's, she's a lady who makes clothing and just does beautiful work. Anyway, he raises her from the dead. Yeah, he raises her from the dead. But it wouldn't be until later. Because, see, at this point... Peter is still trying to blend everything he knows about God, which he got from Torah, he got from the law and the prophets, and he's somehow trying to make that fit into his new faith in Jesus. And God just has to work in him to get him to see. He goes, hey, I want you to eat that. What is that? It's barbecued ribs. You can have it. No, I'm not eating. I'm not eating it. Look, there's some potato salad. There's hush puppies. There's everything. Uh, we did this Memphis style. You know, we're going to. And he goes, no, I've never eaten that kind of stuff. I'll never do that. I'll ne you see, he's still holding on to the law. And he says, you got to do that. You got to do that. It would take a while before he fully understood and was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in this moment, he doesn't get that it's an exodus. He thinks, Jesus, Elijah, Moses. You guys are awesome. You guys are great. He's so excited, he just has to say something. You know, he says, I, I got to talk about it. I got to say something. But he doesn't really understand yet. Um, he, we, you know, Peter, me, you, we're not going to ever understand Jesus apart from his cross and his resurrection. You leave them out and Jesus is at best a good teacher. 
a moralist. You know, at, at his best, he's this really nice guy in history. At worst, he was a false teacher or just a fake messiah, another fake messiah. If you leave out the cross, there's no atonement. If you leave out the resurrection, there is no victory over sin and death. No matter how many pretty things he said and good things that he did. We're kind of like Peter. Just wanting to stay comfortably in our little tents of religion, on the mountain of our traditions. And in contrast, Jesus will embrace the cross. He will ascend Calvary and be crucified for our sins. And then he calls us, follow me. Follow me. In this story, this, um, there's a cloud of Shekinah glory. And it just fills that area. It just envelops them. See, they didn't need man-made shacks. They were in the presence of God. I don't know what they were thinking. And here's something I wanted you to see, because I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but when the cloud disappears, guess who else has disappeared? Elijah and Moses are gone. Only Jesus is there. Only Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, just Jesus, only Jesus. He is the pioneer. He is the champion of our faith. He can give you what Moses or Elijah could never give. Here's God's perspective in verse 7. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. You see, their whole life they had been listening to Moses and Elijah. And now it's like this word picture, this metaphor, this they disappeared. But Jesus is there. And he says, that's all you need. So whatever your background is, he goes, if you've coming out of Judaism, well, it's not about Judaism anymore. You're coming out of Greek culture and society. You're coming out of some kind of paganism. He goes, well, that's okay. All you need is Jesus. You don't have to go back and do No, you just need Jesus. Just listen to him. In verse 9, it says, They went back down the mountain, and he told them, Don't tell anybody yet what you had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. There he goes again, talking about dying and rising from the dead it says so they honored that they kept it to themselves but they often asked each other you know when they're by themselves just amongst one another they'd say what do you think he meant by rising from the dead what is he talking about when he says that um, they had a place for something like that in, in their doctrine, and it was, but it was expected like at the end of the age. This kind of didn't fit. See, Jesus is changing 
He's transforming all their old teachings. He was beginning to transform them. You see, everybody thought Messiah was going to transform culture and society and the way we do things, the way we, the Romans being over us. Well, that's all going to change. He's going to transform that and put us back. And nobody saw this coming. He goes, no, no, no. What I want to do is change you. I'm going to transform you. And he's still doing that. He didn't just change them. This is Mark's gospel. This is his message. He's transforming us. He's transforming us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled faces, just like Moses, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We, like Moses, when he entered the tabernacle, you know, to speak with God. This is back in Exodus 34, 34. And it says, we come into his presence with this open. And the word there just means unrevealed, uncovered. This face that's just looking up. Literally a face that's looking up to God. Especially, I think this happens when we read his word. If you begin to develop this, um, I don't want to use the word discipline, uh, just this, this habit or just this awareness of when you read the word, you're kind of entering into his presence. You know, you're, you're going to be able to receive his word. So just open your face, you know, open your mind and your heart to that. And then that word will speak to you and it'll reveal to you, works like a mirror. It reveals to us the glory of the Lord Jesus. And then as that begins to happen, we begin to reflect that image out of our lives. It begins to shine. It, even our countenances take on a different appearance because we've absorbed that. And I think it most often happens, at least for me, from his word. It happened this morning, early this morning. I read a scripture uh, in Psalm 119, 32, and, and, and I read that, you know, but it just somehow jumped off the page. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really good, you know, and you absorb that. I think of it, I'm really the king of lame illustrations, so here, here's another one. Um, like, I have you know, watches that, um, and, and there are other things that glow in the dark, you know, like my grandsons have these little stars in the room, and you shine a flashlight on them, so I can put a flashlight on the hands of my watch. Somebody, this won't work with your Apple Watch, okay? It just will do it by itself. It's of the devil or something. I don't know. But uh, this, see, the illustration's already fallen down because 90% of you have something else, you know? Um, but yeah, I put a light on it, and then you turn all the lights off, and it glows back at me. You get it? You know, those glow-in-the-dark kind of things? But it only works, and if you leave it in the dark long enough, it loses that illuminosity. Let me write that down, illuminosity, okay? Because it's reflecting, it's absorbed that light, and then it gives it back out, and over time. So that's why I continue to read the Word. That's, 
terrible word picture, but maybe you get it. You know, that what's happening is we absorb his light and it changes us. And he says, just as we're changed from glory to glory, John 1.16 says we also receive grace upon grace upon grace. You ever go to Froyo's on the night where you can get all you can want in a cup for like, is it $5? Like five bucks, all you can get in a cup. So those of you who are frugal or smart, you know, you think, I'm going <laughs> to fill this cup. And so you've got all these different techniques, you know. There's the go around like this. You fill up every inch. And then you just keep going and going. And you think, oh, that's going to fall over, you know. Uh, and you just keep going. Okay, another lame illustration. Uh, this, this is what that means. Grace on top of grace on top of grace. It means that it just keeps piling it up. Like burger night at Calhoun's, okay? And you just, you get up that high and you think, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. That's God's grace for us. You see, some of you approach grace like, yeah, it was just enough grace to get me into heaven. It's just enough grace. Well, oh boy, I hope I'm going to be saved. It, it's not like that. It's a buffet. It's extravagant. It's more grace than you would ever need, more than that would ever be adequate. That's what God does. He just pours it into our lives, and it produces this glory upon glory. So consequently, we are gradually being restored to the full image of God that we had back in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, when we were created in the image of God. And then that was broken. It was tainted and tarnished. And, and, we, and we began to lose that likeness. It's returned to us through Jesus. Through Jesus. Colossians 3.10 says, We have put on the new self, brand new self, being renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that He created us. And in Romans 8, 29, it says, For we're predestined to be conformed, to be recreated in the image of Him. You see, God is transforming us. He's transfiguring us. In that 2 Corinthians 3.18 passage we read just a moment ago, there's this word, metamorpho. It's the exact same word that was used when Jesus was transfigured. In this passage, it's written about us. It's written in the present tense, which indicates that this transformation is an ongoing process, will not be complete until we see Jesus. And it's written in the passive voice, which indicates that the power that produces this transformation in me comes from an external source, like the light on the watch. That source is the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2 tells us, it's like an imperative, be transformed. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. See, and that comes in, this influence of the word, infiltrated, empowered, in, infused with the Holy Spirit, transforms us. Isn't that amazing? Our minds are renewed. Now, we can't transform ourselves any more than we can 
justify or save, save our, ourselves. So just as we begin this race by faith, we have to continue this race by faith. We trust in the Spirit's power, not our own, not, not yourself. It's the indwelling Jesus in me that is transforming me. And the same for you. Now, for this to happen, I do have a responsibility to continually be beholding his glory. To beholding it, you know, to be receiving with an unveiled face God's word. So I take his word in my life and we obey him through the power of the spirit. And that's what this verse in Psalm was about this morning. He goes, oh, when I obey you, you enlarge my heart. You, you just bring all this new life in, inside me, and it happens. You set me free through obedience. Doesn't that sound kind of counterintuitive? You think, wow, by being obedient, I'm getting locked down. He goes, no, 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 no. That's the path to liberty is to obedience. So he says, I'm setting you free. And when that happens, you begin to proceed from glory to glory. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That's how that works. So I'm sitting in the dining room last night, and I'm looking over this, and I'm editing notes, and, you know, trying to, to, to cut out stuff that I don't think is really necessary for the flow of this. And this song came to my mind. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. It's actually an old hymn, and I just began to sing it to myself. And it says, it goes like this. I'm really tempted to try to do like a sing-songy voice so you'll get it. Because some of you, uh, I don't know, if you're under 40, you may never have heard of this. But it's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As part of our worship today, uh, let's close. Let me give you a call. And a response, I think of repentance. Naming the things we have tried unintentionally or purposefully to morph Jesus into. Let's repent of that. Let's confess that sin. And affirm Jesus we're going to let you be Jesus. <laughs> you be Jesus, and we will respond to you as you are. We will not try to change you into our image. But we will seek to be transformed into yours. We'll let Jesus be the real Jesus. So you know, when I started, I said I would come back and ask you these two questions again. So would you stand with me, and we're going to sing worship together and maybe confess Jesus I've tried to make you into something else but today I'm just going to let you be you and here's the question was there a moment in your life 
when Jesus was suddenly revealed to you as glorious and holy God, are you, will you let yourself be transformed, transfigured into the image of Jesus?